we're in a series called Walking with God Through Uncertainty, and we're focusing on God out of Psalms 23. And we're doing that because God never changes. And when we are in uncertain times, we need stability. Today, we live in an era of FOMO. That's what I said, FOMO. And I know you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, what has Pastor George come up with now? FOMO is the fear of missing out. In fact, 70% of millennials struggle with FOMO. But to be honest with you, I think we all struggle with this. And in our struggle, we as people overbook, overspend, overwithdraw, overvalue, and overwork ourselves. Why? Because of FOMO, the fear of missing out. Today I want to talk about the subject matter of moving from an overwhelmed life to an overflowing life. I really believe that this message can change you and me. And I want to begin by explaining two fundamental different approaches to life. You can approach life with a shortage mentality or you can approach life with a surplus mentality. There is a huge difference. A shortage mentality is this. Will you write this down? I'll never have enough and never will. That's going to leave you feeling overwhelmed, okay? I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough influence. In this day and age with this pandemic, I don't have enough toilet paper, okay? It is a feeling of being a day late and a dollar short. And the Bible uses words to describe this mentality as lacking, wanting, or needing. A good example is when Jesus turned to his disciples and said, hey guys, I want you to feed these 5,000 people that are here. Those were 5,000 men. There was probably bigger than that. And they looked around and says, I don't see any McDonald's around here. But one of the disciples found a little boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. And yet they looked at it and said, what difference will this little bit make with so many people? And that focus of a, shortage, of, of a shortage is this. Will you write this down? It is a focus on limited resources. I look at all the things that I'm lacking. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough toilet paper. And the result of that mindset is this. Will you write this down? An overwhelmed life. I just feel overwhelmed by everything that is going on. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard that in the last two or three months, and even more so recently. And oftentimes this is due because people look at life as a pie. And if someone gets a piece of the pie or a bigger piece of the pie, it means that there's less for them. Or maybe they don't get any at all. Now, what that leads to internally is envy and jealousy or resentment, worry and insecurity. And if I have any of those feelings going on inside of me, guess what? It's just an indication that I have a shortage mindset. Now, instead, God wants us to have a surplus mentality, which is this. Will you write this down? God has more than I'll ever need and he'll never 
run out. God just doesn't have one pie, folks. He has a pie factory. And words that describe this type of mindset are words like abundance, plenty, abounding, bountiful. God has more than enough. Now let me give you an example of this one. Have you ever worried that the person sitting next to you was stealing your air? Probably not. You're probably more worried that they might give you COVID, but you never worry about them stealing your air. Why? Because God has created more air than enough for everybody. Now, the focus of a surplus mindset is this. Will you write this down? God's limitless resources. Folks, he's got plenty. He's got plenty to go around, and the result is an overflowing lifestyle. Now, with this understanding, I want us to focus in on Psalms 23, verse 5, and I'm going to read it to you in three different translations. You fill my cup to overflowing. You give me more than I can hold. My cup overflows. What is he talking about? about here. He is talking about an overflowing life rather than an overwhelmed life. The psalmist David starts in Psalms 23 verse 1 by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And by the time he goes through different qualities of God and gets to verse 5, he says, my cup runs over. In verse 1, he says, I have everything that I need. But by verse 5, he says, I have more than I need. Now, what's my cup? It is a metaphor. And will you write this down? For my life. When David says, my cup overflows, he's saying, my life is overflowing. I am not overwhelmed because I don't have enough time or treasures or, or talents or toilet paper or whatever. No, there is more than enough. I have a river flowing out of me. Now, Jesus talks about this lifestyle in John 7, 37 and 38. He, he, David wrote Psalms 23 2,000 years earlier, and Jesus comes along and he plays off that in a crowd of 50,000 people. And he says this, on the last day of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. Why did he shout? Two reasons. One, there was a lot of people. But number two, this was really important. And he says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Everyone who really believes in me will have rivers of living water flowing out of their lives. What is Jesus talking about here? He is talking about the same thing that David talked about 2,000 years earlier. My cup runs over. My life isn't overwhelmed. My life is overflowing. I am not worried about running short on anything because God is the source of my life. When I go to a faucet in my house and it doesn't work, guess what? I don't think that my house is out of water. I don't say, oh, the world is out of water. 
No, what I do is I go to a different faucet. Jesus says, anybody who really believes in me, even though Costco has run out of toilet paper, if they really believe in me, they will have a river of living water flowing out of his life. I want you to circle the phrase, really believe, because in the Greek, that is pistio. It means More than just head knowledge. It means to trust in. It means to depend on. Jesus says, if you really, really, really believe in me, your life isn't going to be overwhelmed. No. You're going to have water, a river of flowing water come out of you. That is what he is saying. And so you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, okay, George, I got this. But what is an overflowing life? Will you write this down? An overflowing life is a life filled beyond capacity. It is my life that is filled with all of God. All of his goodness that we have mentioned from verse one all the way now through verse five. Folks, that's what I want for you as your pastor coach. I want that for you because I love you. And I want you to experience, honestly, the abundant life. Now this metaphor, my cup overflows, is used throughout the Bible. It's referred to in different aspects like the cup of joy, the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation, the cup of peace, the cup of hope. Why is it described like that? Because God embodies all those things. Now, I want you to remember this because we live in times of uncertainty, even more than when we did when we first started out with this pandemic. And if you get this, this will change your life. Because we have a good shepherd, because God is good, and God is good all the time, everything that he allows into my life is good. And when I doubt that, folks, that's when I get in trouble. That's when you and I begin to worry and get stressed out and fret and get anxious. Now, there are a lot of verses about this. But I want us to look at one out of Isaiah 48, 17 and 18. And it says this, I am the holy God who rescues you. Do you need rescuing right now? Rescuing from this pandemic, rescuing from this economy, rescuing from the racial relations that are going on in this world? He goes on, for your your own good, I teach you and I lead you along the right path. The reason that God has given us the Bible is to teach us and to lead us on the right path, to get on the right path, to stay on the right path, to, if we get off the right path, how to get back on the right path. He's given us the Bible to do that. How I wish that you had obeyed my commands. Then your success and good fortune would have overflowed like a flooding river. Did you know that God wants you to succeed in an overflowing way? 
He says, I gave you my commands, and if you would have obeyed them, your success and your good fortune would have overflowed like a river. Folks, the key to success is not going to self-help seminars. The key to success, overflowing success, is obeying God's commands. It's, it's in God's word. God says in his word, if you just would treat your body like I tell you, it would be for your own good. If you would just treat sex like I tell you to treat sex, it would be for your own good. If you would just treat others like I tell you how to treat others, it would be for your own good. If you would just treat reputation like I tell you to cheat, cheat, treat reputation, it would be for your own good. God says when you don't listen and you choose to pervert God's gifts that he's given you, you'll not experience an overflowing life or success. So listen to me. Anytime I disobey God, when God comes and he says, I want you to do it this way, and I choose to do it my way, I am doubting God's goodness, and I am playing God, and I am in essence saying, God, I know what will make me happier than you do. And when I do that, I get off the track, and that is when I begin to feel overstressed, overwithdrawn, overworked, and overwhelmed. God says, I'm giving you these instructions for your good. For your good. Not for his, for yours and for mine. I, I like how Jesus said this in John 10, 10. I've come that you may have real life and enjoy it in abundance, in the fullness, in the fullest until, over, until it overflows. Jesus says, I want to give you a full life. I want to give you an abundant life. I want to give you a life that is overflowing. How do you and I experience that kind of life in the chaos that's going on in our world? Well, I want to share with you four habits that I have sought to practice in my 47 years in walking with Jesus. If you do these things, I guarantee you, it will not only change your life, but folks, it will impact and change the people around you. As your life changes, other lives change as well. So the first one is this. Stay connected to Jesus every day. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay uh, connected to me, You'll produce a lot of fruit, but you can't do anything without me. If a cluster of grapes is broken off from the branch, guess what? They will die. I don't care if you try to tie that cluster of grapes back on to the branch. If it's, not, if it's broken from the root, if it's broken from the branch, it will die. The same is true for you. If you try to go through life on your own power with all that's going on, you are going to be overwhelmed. I have told you this before. A toaster cannot fulfill its purpose if it is not plugged in to the power. 
You as a human being created in God's image cannot fulfill your purpose if you are not plugged in to the power. And Jesus comes along and he says, you got to stay connected to me. You can't do anything unless you're connected, unless you have my power working in you and through you. So how do you stay connected to him? You spend time with him on a daily basis. You wake up in the morning, you sit down in a chair with your Bible, you open it, you read it, you think about it, and then you talk to God about it. In essence, you build a relationship with him. You can't have a relationship with your spouse or with anybody if you don't spend time with them. If you're not spending time with God through his word, you don't have a relationship with him. You may know some things of him, like when he was born at Christmas and when he died, so to speak, and resurrected at Easter, but you don't have a relationship with him. To have a relationship, uh, you have to have proximity and you need to have frequency. And the way you have proximity and, and frequency is by staying connected with him through his word on a daily basis alone. Jesus said in John 15, 7 through 11, if you stay connected to me and my words remain in you, you might circle that phrase, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings glory to my Father. So stay connected to my love. Stay connected to my love when you obey me. I've told you this so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your cup of joy will overflow. There's that word again, overflowing. Overflowing versus overwhelmed. How? By being connected, which means you've got to be in relationship with God through his word. Now, I ask you to circle, my words remain in you. How do you do that? Well, there is a word in the Bible that describes this. It's called meditation. And meditation in the Bible is not, um, 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 Focus the fu focus on the fuzz in my navel. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm not talking about Eastern meditation. I'm talking about focusing on God's word. You get up in the morning, you sit down, you read it, you pick a verse, and you think about it again and again and again. How does this apply to my life? How might this apply to my marriage? How might this apply to this pandemic, to this economy, to the racial tensions? How might this apply to my kids? You think about it again and again and again. And if you are a good worrier, as most of us are, then you will be a good meditator. Because worry is just the negative aspect of thinking about something again and again and again. Whereas meditation is the positive aspect of thinking about something again and again and again. And yet the outcomes of those two things are different. Worry leads to an overwhelming life. 
Meditation leads to an overflowing life. And Jesus said, if you let my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like and it will be granted. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, George, I talk to God all the time and I don't see a lot of answers coming in. Okay, I'll give you that. You may pray a lot. But are you connected? When was the last time you spent an extended time alone with God? More than two minutes. Folks, you're not connected. And so there's no way you're going to see any fruit in your life. You're not going to be overflowing in this crisis. No, you're going to be overwhelmed. Now, this is a simple truth. But folks, it's one that we forget about when there's a lot of chaos going on in our life. The second key to an overflowing life is this. And this one is a little harder than the first one. And that is stop complaining and start being grateful. Did you know that science has proven that these attitudes are both good and bad for you? They are. Studies have shown that when you are thankful and grateful, your body produces serotonin in the brain. It produces dopamine in the brain. It produces oxytocin, not oxycontin, oxytocin in the brain. You want these kind of chemicals in your brain going throughout your body. When a husband and wife make love, it releases oxytocin in both of them. When a mother and baby when a mother nurses a baby, it, re- it releases oxytocin in the mother and in the baby. When you pet an animal, a dog, for 30 minutes, research, not 20, 30 minutes, and not a cat, a dog. <laughs> Sorry, don't send any emails on cats to me, okay? But if you pet your animal for 30 minutes, it releases oxytocin in both the pet owner and the animal. Folks, you and I want this hormone going throughout our body because it gives us smarts, it gives us peace, it it brings happiness into our life. Those chemicals, serotonin and dopamine and oxytocin, happen every time when you're grateful. So after you get out of bed and you've had your first cup of coffee and you've read your Bible and you've thought about some things, Write down the 10 things that you are grateful for. And that will change your brain chemistry from an overwhelmed life to an overflowing life. In fact, studies have revealed that even if you can't think of anything to be grateful for, but you try to think of something to be grateful for, it will still produce these chemicals in your brain. Now, Paul said this about this, in regards to this. In Philippians 2, 14, in everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. Why? Because it is the exact opposite of gratefulness. In fact, when you complain and you gripe, it produces cortisol, 
which is another hormone that brings stress. It's called the fight and flight hormone, okay? So let me ask you, what do you most frequently complain about? Don't answer that and don't look at them, okay? Let me ask it this way. How does complaining help you? Does it change the weather? Does it change uh, the way you look? Does it change your spouse or your kids? No, it doesn't at all, does it? It just makes things worse. It is stewing without doing. And so I say stop your griping and grumbling and start being grateful. Colossians 2, 7, Paul said, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all that God has done. And so you start your day with what God has done. It's easy to nail the physical things, and those are important. But next week I'm going to be talking about and building on this because this is the key of getting rid of fear for the future. And that is starting to focus on good news spiritually and writing it down. They've done studies where they've reported if you start your day just by sending an email of gratitude to someone that you love or someone that has helped you, it actually lowers your stress for the whole day because of the chemicals or hormones that are released in your body. And so start your day with good news and not bad news. Now here's another one. This one's a good one. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. No matter what happens, always be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong in Christ Jesus. Now, I mentioned this last week as I talked about uh, race relations, okay, and how to bring healing into our lives and into our, our nation. But I have people all the time who come into my office and say, George, I want to know what God's will is for me. I want to know what God wants me to do in my marriage right now. I want to know what I need to do in my family. I want, to know, I want to know what God's will is for my job right now. What does God want me to do? Well, the first step in, 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 in what God wants you to do is to give thanks. You see, why would God give you step two of his will if you can't even do step one? He's not going to. Are you being grateful in everything right now? I didn't say for everything. I said in everything. Our nation is in a crisis right now. And all the focus is on the problems. And no one pauses to think what's right. What can they be thankful for? When... When, if you want to know what step two is in resolving problems, you got to first start with step one, and that is to give thanks. If I want to live a life of overflowing and not a life that is overwhelmed, I've got to stay connected to Jesus. I've got to be grateful and not griping. The third one, is this, and this one is a little harder than the last one. And that is I've got to stop comparing and I've got to start being content. 
The Bible says anytime you and I compare ourselves with anyone else, we're being foolish. God made you to be you. He doesn't want you to be anyone else. And yet when you begin to compare yourself with others, you are tempted through envy or resentment to start copying them. And God would come along and just say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't make you to be them, I made you to be you. If you're not gonna be you, then uh, who is, okay? When, God, when you get to heaven, God isn't gonna ask you, why weren't you more like Pastor George? <laughs> He's not gonna ask you that at all, okay? Because one is enough uh, for the whole world, right? No, he's going to say, why weren't you more like you? When we compare ourselves, folks, we get in trouble. And we like to compare everything, don't we? We like to compare our grade point average. We like to compare the cars that we drive, the houses that we live in. We like to compare our looks. We like to compare our spouses. And God comes along and says, don't do that. If you do, you're going to be overwhelmed. And you're going to be overwhelmed for one of two reasons. One may be discouragement. You know what? They got better, grand, better looking grandkids than mine. Oh, they got a better looking spouse than my Cheryl. Not everyone can be married to my Cheryl. Oh, they're better looking than I am. Well, nobody can look as good as me. You could be discouraged or, folks, the opposite. You could just be filled full of pride. Either way, you're dead in the water. The Bible says that it's foolish to compare anything. Take a look at this, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We wouldn't put ourselves in the same class with or compare ourselves to those who are bold enough to make their own recommendations. Certainly when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves to themselves, they show how foolish they are. And yet today, it is easier than ever in human history to compare ourselves to others. Why? Two words. Social media. Folks, we are faced with it every day. Oh, Look what they're doing. Oh, look where they went on vacation. Oh, look what they're wearing. Oh, look what they're drinking. It is easier today to get stuck in staging yourself with this so-called ideal life when we all know that life is not perfect. What are we doing? We are seeking other people's approval. I guess I better post something today so that people think that I'm cool. And that is being driven by FOMO, the fear of missing out. You see, there are two downsides to social media that I believe we need to be aware of. I'm not saying that social media is evil. I'm saying there are some things that we need to be conscious of. And one of those is this. It can feed your narcissism. It's all about me. Look at me. Look at me. You know, when you were three years old and you said, hey, look at me, Daddy. Look at me, Mommy. Hey, look at me. That was cute. But when you're 30 plus years old, folks, it's not cute anymore. And the other thing is this, that it can create envy or resentment. 
When you look at someone's post who's making themselves out to be some beauty queen, some rock star, some movie star, someone who's living that uh, rich and famous life, it can create envy in you. And that is not an overwhel- and that is not an overflowing feeling. That is an overwhelming feeling. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 4:7. Paul says, who says that you are better than others? Everything that you have was given to you. And if this is so, why do you brag as if you got these things by your own power? Folks, it's all a gift. So let me ask you this. With a pandemic going on and everyone concerned about their health, would you like to live a healthier life? Would you like to live a longer life? Take a look at Proverbs 14, 30. It's healthy to be content, but envy will eat you up. Solomon, the one who had the most affluence, said this. He gave this warning. Ecclesiastes 4, 6. It is better to be content with what you have than to always be struggling for more. That is like chasing the wind. And Paul came along and he says, you know what? You and I need to learn contentment. Why? Because contentment isn't natural. It is natural to be discontent. And discontentment creates overwhelming feelings within us. But even though it's natural to be discontent, we can learn contentment. It can be learned as we learn how to connect with God on a daily basis, how to be grateful and not grumpy, and how to be content and focus in on what we have. As we do that, we can have an overflowing life and not be overwhelmed. Now, there's one other way. And honestly, this is the hardest one of all. And it is this. Stop being stingy and start being generous. If you want to move from an overwhelmed life with all that is going on in our world, with the pandemic and the economy and now race relations, and move to an overflowing life, you've got to move from stinginess to generosity. And when I say that, I am not talking just about money. I'm talking about your time and your talents, folks. I'm talking about your words. Stinginess actually is evidence of a shortage mentality. It is thinking, I barely have enough. And if I give away what I have, I'm not going to have enough for me. And if you have that mindset, you don't understand how the world was created. Because God said, the more you give, the more you're going to get. And he set that up because he wants you to be like him. God is a giver. He loves to give. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son And so he wants you to be a giver and he wants you to do it out of love. 
with your time, your talent, and yes, your treasures. I know, you sitting there and you think, well, George, you can give without loving. Yes, you can. But you can't love without giving. A lot of times when this subject matter of living a generous life with your time and your talents and your treasures is mentioned, people get upset because it hits their stingy nerve. And that is a sign that you don't understand how God has created this world. He's created it in such a way that the more generous you are, the more blessings you're going to experience. And when I am afraid of that, I have a shortage mentality. I do not have a surplus mentality. Because a surplus mentality says, if I give away my piece of pie, God will give me another one. In fact, he'll probably give me a bigger one. Take a look at this portion of Scripture out of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Paul says, remember this. Don't forget this. In times of chaos, remember this. A stingy planter will only reap a small crop. Stop right there. No farmer holds back seed when they are planting seed. Why? Because they know it's not a one-for-one trade-off. No. They know if they plant one kernel of corn, they will get approximately 600 other kernels of corn. That is how God has wired the universe. He goes on and he says, but anyone who sows generously will also reap generously. So each of you should give serious consideration to what you want to give God. Not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. Kind of like I hinted at earlier. And you've heard me say this before. Don't give grudgingly. If you don't have the right heart, don't give. You're not going to get credit for it, okay? God wants you to give cheerfully with your heart, your time, your talent, and your treasures. If you do, bonus, you get more. And then he gives the promise And you can be sure that God is able to bless you with all his grace so that in all things, at all times, you will always have all you need and you'll you'll also overflow so that you can give to every good work. Will you circle all the alls and circle every and circle overflows? This is a pretty clear-cut promise. Do you have a shortage mentality? Or do you have a surplus mentality? Have you ever wondered why you don't have enough time and talents and treasures? Hmm. You know, a few months ago, we studied the book of Daniel. How God took his people out of their homeland because of disobedience. And he took them to Babylon. And they were there for 70 years. And as he was bringing them back, he said to them, I want you now to put me first in everything. I want you to put me first in your time, your talent, and in your treasure. And I'm going to ask you to build my temple back as a sign that you've put me first in these areas. And they forgot about it. And so they experience this. This is what the book of Haggai is about. 
Haggai 1. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your own paneled houses with this house, with this house remains a ruin? He's talking about his temple. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Give careful thought to your ways. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, his temple, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. You've only been thinking of yourself. Could this be a reason for shortage in your life, in the way of your time, your talents, and your treasures. After Haggai came, God sent another prophet, Malachi, and he challenged them with what I call the Pepsi Challenge verse of the Bible. Malachi 3.10. Bring your whole tithe in my storehouse so that there will be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. He's saying, I dare you. I double dog dare you. You just make me first in your life with your time and your talent and yes, your treasure. You make me first and see if I don't bless the socks off you. Do you trust Jesus? I'm sure you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, I'm trusting him for my salvation to go to heaven. That's great. That really is awesome. But are you trusting him with anything else? Are you living big or are you living small? God has called us the higher ground. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 6, 38, as we close. If you give, you will receive back your time, your talent, and your treasures. Your gift will be returned to you in full measure, packed down and shaken, making room for more and running over Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be used to measure whatever is given back to you. There's that phrase, running over. Are you living big or are you living small? If you're living big, you'll get big. If you're living small, you're going to get small. It's your choice. You get to choose how much you believe God in his word. And that comes from who you think God is, of how you see God. And in Psalms 23, David says, I see God as big. And so my cup overflows. Now, before we take the offering virtually, I want us to pray.
And I want to give you an opportunity to get big with God by inviting him into your life. And so I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you've never thought of making God big in your life by dropping him from your head into your heart where you really, really, really believe because he says if you believe in me, there'll be a river of of flowing water coming out of you. So I want you to pray right now. I want you to pray this prayer. Dear God, right now, I admit that I do not have a river of flowing water coming out of me. I am overwhelmed and not overflowing. But I believe in you. I really, really, really believe in you that you died on the cross for my sins. And right now, God, I'm dropping you from my head into my heart. I want to experience the abundant life, the real life, the overflowing life in this chaos that we're in. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to text me at 94,000 with the word new start. Or if you recommitted your life to Christ, you can text the same number, 94,000, with the same word new start. And I'd be glad to get you some literature to help you with your new walk or your new commitment to Christ. So right now, let's go ahead and let's take our offering virtually. You can do that by taking a look on the screen of where you can, what you need to text and where you need to text it to. So let's go ahead and take our offering right now. And I'll close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you're big, that nothing is too big for you, that you have all the resources in the world and you not only want to meet our needs, but God, you want to go beyond that. You want us to to live a successful, overflowing life, an abundant life, a real life with you. And we thank you that that is found in you and it's experienced in us, through us, as we discover who you really are. So God, we give you this. Help us to live big. In your son's name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.